Hello and welcome to the Art of Communication podcast with me, Robin Kermode. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com. Hello, it's Sian Hansen, and I'm here with Robin Kermode. Hello. And uh, this podcast is to rehearse or not to rehearse? It's a big question. And you get this question asked all the time, mm-hmm. don't you? Mm-hmm. So just how, I mean, I'm anticipating here, but just how furious do you get when clients say to you, I don't want to rehearse because I want to remain fresh? So I never get furious with my clients. Can we just, <laughs> so can just put a line in the sand here? Of course I don't. The thing is that there are different personality types. Some people like to rehearse and some don't like to rehearse and for different reasons. And I think, for example, there are two types of people. There are the people who like to be completely in control of their presentation Mm. and therefore they can rehearse that and therefore there's a safety in that. Mm -hmm. And then there are the people who prefer Q&A where in a way they're not expected to have a perfect answer. You can't rehearse Q&A because you don't know what's coming up? Well, you can rehearse in a way. You can anticipate questions. I think these are the questions that are likely to come up right. and have some answers ready. But you're right. The tone of voice, the way which somebody asks you that question mm. could have other nuances on it, and you can't prepare that. Mm. But there's a freedom in not rehearsing for some people. Right. So it does depend on your personality type. What would you recommend, though? Straight up advice, Robin. Do you recommend that you rehearse a big presentation? Well, yes, but it depends on what you mean by rehearse. Okay. I would never go on stage not having rehearsed, Mm. particularly because if it's a play, what you do affects other people. So as a team of actors on stage, I have to know what the other people are going to do because then I can measure what I'm doing against that. Okay. So you have to rehearse that because it's part of a team. Mm -hmm. A presentation often is on your own. Sometimes you do present as a team at work and that does need rehearsing without question needs rehearsing. Who's doing which bits? That is obvious. But when it's just you, the danger, I think, is that people write the whole presentation out they rehearse it and mm. they say, that's 20 minutes, that went really well. The next time they present it, they try to recreate what they did in the rehearsal. Oh, so at that point, it sounds a bit canned. It's now a memory test. So actually, you're not oh. fully present in what you're saying. What you're doing is you're trying to remember what you said and how you said it and the inflection in which you said it right. last time. So this is the problem also that actors have on stage. The first time you do it, you get a laugh. The second night you do it, you get a laugh. The third night you think, oh, there's a laugh coming here. And you often don't get the laugh because you're anticipating the laugh. So ultimately you have to be present. But if you're the kind of person that needs the safety of a rehearsed, complete presentation, Mm. set up presentation, if you're that kind of personality, then you will feel very vulnerable not having that. Other people feel that is a straitjacket and they hate it. They don't like that. But what we can't do for the people who like to be free is they can't just have a free fall. It could be chaos. It might go really well, but it might be chaotic. So those are the people in a way who require more work Mm -hmm. as clients Mm -hmm. because they think they can just wing it, as you said. And actually, they probably can, depending on... On a good day, they can. On a good day. And probably, if they know their topic really well, they're starting to read the audience. Mm -hmm. When they get on stage, they think, okay, I know what I'm going to tackle, and they just pull it out, don't they? They pull it out. Maybe they've made a lot of speeches over the course of their life, and they Mm. just have that ability to do it. 
I saw a master comedian once, and mm. this is very old school, a British comedian called Ken Dodd. This is mm. going back, it's a sort of old school comedian, but what he was amazing at, and I'd never had the chance to meet him, but I talked to people who did. He spent the first minute trying out maybe short jokes, 10 seconds each. Mm. So he'd do maybe six little punchlines, mm. and he would test the audience as to the kind of audience they were. And if they were the kind of audience that liked a particular kind of joke or a particular speed of joke, he'd adapt the next two hours, depending on what... What feedback he got in the Absolutely first... Absolutely incredible. So if you're a professor and you know your topic incredibly well and you're giving a lecture to students, there's mm. probably something in there that says you don't need to rehearse. But let's be really realistic. Let's say we're going to talk about that person who knows a subject fairly well but doesn't mm. give speeches that often. Mm. They say, I don't want to rehearse because I think it would mean that I don't stay fresh and I want to stay fresh and of I course. don't want to sound overly rehearsed. Yes. What's the in-between stage? What do you say to somebody mm. who doesn't want to rehearse, but what are the little tricks to keep them on track? Well, there has to be an overall, what is your point? Okay. It's overall, are you giving a good message or a challenging message? Overall, what is it? Mm. Ultimately, have some structure to it. Have a scaffold. Scaffold. So I think for the people who want to feel they're being free, you need a scaffold. Otherwise, the professor, as you're saying, who's talking to students, what they can do, if they're not careful, is they can end up having a conversation inside their head. Mm. So they can say, well, of course, this happened in 1864. Well, actually, of course, it wasn't 1864, because actually in 1854, something else happened. And they go off down a whole rabbit yeah. hole that they find completely fascinating. <laughs> Everyone else is completely lost. No scaffolding. So we have to have the scaffold to keep it on track. We have to know where it's going. Mm. And I say to people, I would have maybe three, four, five, whatever it is, sections, or I call them buckets, buckets of mm. information. I'm going to talk about this stuff, this stuff, this stuff, and this stuff in that order. Right. And that's probably what will keep Scaffolding, me on track. Scaffolding, order. And yes. can I just add in, because you taught me this, I love the colour. You gave me colour. So my first section is green. <laughs> my second section is red, blue, yellow. What's interesting there, of course, is you did rehearse. You put it down on paper. Yes. And Therefore, when you're giving the speech, you're mm. actually giving the presentation, mm. your memory is I can see the paper mm. and I can see the different colours, yeah? Yeah. And there's another thing you gave me, which I'm just going to give back to you because actually it was a throwaway comment of yours, but it really worked for me. You said, do different sections to different parts of the audience. Yes. And why is that helpful? It's helpful to you because you know you've changed section. Otherwise, you tend to, oh, by the way, also about this. And you think, no, you finished that section, now you have to move on. Yeah. And if anything comes up that you've forgotten, mm. actually leave it for Q&A anyway. And the best thing about that is I felt spontaneous when I was mm. giving my talk. I felt spontaneous because I was moving. And there's an impetus for the new section. Yes. There's an impetus to the move. Yes. Yeah, but I didn't feel overly rehearsed because I didn't rehearse the movements across the stage. Right. Interesting enough, with some clients, I do rehearse the movements across the stage. Oh, do you? Actually. Yeah, sometimes, because it helps them remember they finished a section. So with you, a colour seems to work very well with a mm. colour memory. Some people have a motor memory, physical motor memory. Mm. And if they move from one side of the stage to the other, that actually helps them in terms of remembering what they're saying. Oh, remembering the next part of the scaffolding. Yeah, so that's the motor memory, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. And what if somebody has rehearsed and knows every single word of their speech? Mm. How can you then make it sound fresh, even though you need the comfort of knowing every single word of what you're going to say? Well, the best way is to have some pauses because you have to, as a speaker or as a performer or as an actor, certainly, you know what you're going to say next, but it doesn't want to look like you know what you're going to say next. Okay. So what you have to do is almost 
give yourself a two or three second pause. What the audience wants to see on your face is not, oh, the speaker doesn't know what he's going to say. They want to see, ah, the speaker's thinking, how should he or she phrase it in this way to this particular audience in this moment in time? Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it spontaneous. Of course, I know what I'm going to say, but if I just come out too quickly with it like that, it looks rehearsed. Mm -hmm. But if I pause for a second, I said, actually, I also want to talk to you about voice today. Robin, that's hilarious because it sounds like you're saying rehearse the pauses so you don't sound rehearsed. Well, (laughs) we don't want to sound over-rehearsed. Yes, you think, okay, I probably will take a pause after that. But actually, the pause is for several reasons. Mm. The pause is the audience probably needs time to process what I've just said. Oh, good point. So that gives them a moment. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe I'm going to move across, take three or four steps to the other side. Mm-hmm. They see me from a different angle, and that mm-hmm. has a new energy to it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the pause is, maybe I don't know exactly the words I'm going to say. I know the bucket of information, I know the section, mm-hmm. but I don't know necessarily every single line I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Some people, of course, like we said, do like to know everything, and it is a memory test for them. There's one extra thing we should add in here. If you want to write out your whole speech and you learn it like a speech, mm. there's a big problem. And the big problem is most people, when they write speeches at their computer keyboard, tap, 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 they write written sentences. It can never sound natural. Oh. And when I wrote my book on how you make speeches, if you remember, I dictated the whole book to the computer mm. and the computer turned it into type. Mm. So when I came to do the audio book for that, mm. it was super easy because I read it and it was in my rhythm. Mm-hmm. But if I had polished the sentences and written it tap, tap, tap on my computer, they would have been longer, mm. they would have been more formal and they would have had subclauses. I'm not clever enough to speak in subclauses. Mm. Well, I'm not clever enough to start a sentence knowing I've got three subclauses, but I can craft a sentence like that. But if I was to read that out, it's not going to sound natural. So that's why most people, when they learn a speech, it looks like it's been learned. Oh, it's because, because of how of, it's been constructed in the first of place. how it's been written. Yeah. So you have to write it in such a way that it's comfortable being delivered verbally. Exactly. And one of the ways, actually, as you're constructing it, is to say it. And we go back to, I don't want to rehearse, don't we? But saying it out loud is yeah. rehearsal. It is a form of rehearsal. I remember when I was doing what now are called GCSEs in the UK, which are the sort of exams you take at the age of 16. Mm. I was a great crammer. So I was Mm. a great last minute crammer. I've got a very good short term memory. Mm -hmm. So I would get up at four o'clock in the morning and read through all the history dates. I'd go into the exam and I could write them all down. Mm. Probably five hours later, I couldn't remember them. That doesn't make me a clever student. It just means that some exams reward certain types of pupils, Mm. which is the problems with exams, actually, Mm. I think. So some people are just very good at memory. It doesn't make them a good speaker. It just means they're good at memorizing. Mm -hmm. The people who are good speakers are the ones who actually connect with their audience. But sometimes they will need to add in those pauses, which will make it feel spontaneous. Mm -hmm. When you pause, I'm dipping into this a little bit more. When you pause, are you being still? Is that what you're saying? Yes, in a way. You're giving the audience space and time to reflect. But it's silent, right? You're giving a speech, but you're, you're giving some space for silence and stillness. Yes, but it's not empty. You can have mm. a filled pause or an empty pause. Oh. Right? <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So you can have a dead pause or a live pause. Well, what's the difference? Essentially. Well, one, the energy goes to nothing. Mm. So I could say, so have a think about this. The energy is actually still there. Yes. Or I can say, so have a think about this. Ooh. It's gone. People listening can't even see my face, but I know the energy's gone. Mm-hmm. Or I know the energy is still there. It's like mm-hmm. an aircraft. It's still going on. So I think there's an alive pause. And there's a dead pause. Mm. And that's part of holding the audience as well. Right. We're getting quite detailed here. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure 
the point is made, definitely pause in order to make an overly rehearsed speech sound spontaneous. Totally. I think the other thing is, just in the structure, is keep it logical. I think it's not so much to rehearse or not to rehearse, as mm-hmm. you said at the beginning. It's more about how we rehearse. Yeah. Because we would be very foolish for something important not to rehearse at all. I think that would be foolish. Mm. We have to understand our own personality, what's the best way for us, and then have a scaffold. You once said to me that it's not just about standing on the stage and speaking. Mm. That bit can be rehearsed or not. And we've given in the podcast so far, we've given everybody the tools to adapt to your own personality. But there's a couple of things that you've said in the past, which are around the event that you could do outside of the speech making. Oh, like, for example, mingling with people beforehand. Yeah. I always, if I'm giving a speech at a conference, I never just turn up at 11. So if, for example, I'm going to speak from 11 till 12, mm. I'm not going to turn up to the building at 10.30, go into my VIP speakers area, yeah. and then just turn up at one minute two, go straight on stage and leave. Because I have no sense of what came before me. I have yeah. no sense of the energy in the room. Maybe everybody's happy. Maybe they're not happy. Maybe the CEO has just spoken before me and telling them they're all going to lose their jobs. Right. Well, I can't come out and go, hello, good morning. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to land. So what I would do always is to go and see the audience first. So if there's a break, say at 10.30, which would be half an hour before mine, I would go, and chat. go out there and say, hello, I'm Robin. I'm going to speak up next. What do you do? And it means now when I'm on the platform, I can say, oh, I was talking to Susan earlier and she asked me this question. I was talking to David and he said this. Well, that makes the speech sound spontaneous. Yeah. You're participating in the whole event rather than just... Yes, and I can say yeah. I, I was very interested to hear what the speaker before said me. I thought that was really good. Didn't you think yeah. that was interesting? And mm. now, of course, I have a kind of conversation with people, mm-hmm. which makes my speech sound less formal anyway. Yeah. Oh, now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. So what we're really saying is you are the best judge of yourself, whether you need a lot of rehearsal or just a little bit. It depends on how much you know your topic, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But there's a couple things that you should do. You should always build in a pause, always have a scaffold. Mm-hmm. You should know where you're going, what the point of the speech is. Mm-hmm. And actually, you should know the atmosphere that you're speaking in. Totally. And then if you do all that, you will be rehearsing in the right way. Mm. That will give you the freedom. It's a balance between constraint and freedom, ultimately. That's why I use this phrase in the middle that works almost for everyone, which Mm. is the scaffold. I absolutely love the fact that you've used the words both freedom and scaffold in giving your advice. I mean, it it sounds a bit like Les Miserables. Well, I suppose in a sense we are manning the barricades. (laughs) But I should ask you, Sianna, and I haven't asked you this for ages, do you rehearse? Yes, I do rehearse, actually. I do rehearse, but I have learnt to trust myself. Wow, that's good. I've learnt to trust myself that Mm. if I'm trying to make a point, my point is one that will not die if I don't use the exact words on my page. But I don't in any way overly rehearse so that I learn every adjective I wanted to use and every full stop. I don't do that. What I do is I trust myself now to know my topic. Otherwise, why did they ask me to speak on it? Exactly. And in fact, I do a lot of speaking in front of children. And children are a difficult audience because they're going to get bored. I can't just plow through a rehearsed speech if I've lost them. Yes. You know, what I have to do is actually change my position ask them a question, clap my hand, walk into the audience. That usually wakes them up if I walk into the audience. And I lean down and say, 
So what do you think about the topic? You know, yeah, that's going to wake them up. That's going to yeah. wake them up. So you do actually need to trust yourself. And mm. I think now that I've done it for so many years that I trust myself. You trust yourself and you trust yourself that you actually do know your point. Not yes. just your topic, but you know your take on the topic. I know my take yeah. on the topic. Yeah. And then in my back pocket, if I ever need it, I do have cards with all the set quotes. And if I need them, I've got all the stats that back up my point or whatever. But right. normally, I don't have to take them out anymore. So that's just there for safety. And comfort. Can I just say comfort? It's really comforting. It's like a parachute if you need it. It's a parachute if I need it. And if you don't need a parachute, you have a <laughs> scaffold. <laughs> You're my parachute, actually. Oh, that's the sweetest thing you've ever said. <laughs> oh, this is getting schmaltzy now. Lots of interesting points, lots of food for thought. Thank you again, Robin. No, thank you, Sian. That was brilliant. Thank you. Have you ever wished you could become a confident speaker or presenter? Then why not join my online masterclass, Speak So Your Audience Will Listen. In 10 easy-to-follow modules, you can become a confident and authentic speaker. For more information, visit robinkermode.com.